I want to move into week number two of our series, This Is That. And um, everybody listen, you, I, I struggle to name, give names of sermons in a series sometimes because it's basically, to me, it's like one big long sermon. So I'll let you name it, but it's just week two. And um, it's real important that we understand just the basis of where we're coming from in Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16, everybody look, the prophet Joel, thousands, hundreds of years earlier, had prophesied the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. He had prophesied, he foretold that it would come, the Holy Spirit would be poured out, that sons and daughters would receive that experience, handmaidens, servants, and when it happened, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there were people who thought that those who were experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit were drunk. And one of three things had happened. They didn't recognize it. So they accused them of being, and just side note, I always like to give this. People think that Holy Spirit outpouring makes people crazy or act like they're drunk. And that wasn't the case at all. The case was they had never seen or they weren't used to seeing people that alive at that time of the day, early in the morning. They weren't used to seeing such expressive public joy. And so they accused them of being drunk. And Peter stood up and he said, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Now everybody listen here. One of three things had happened to those who were accusing them of being drunk. Either, number one, they didn't know about the prophecy. They should have, but for whatever reason, it wasn't taught. They didn't hear the sermon. They missed the message that day. They didn't know. Second was, maybe they knew, but they just didn't believe that it would ever happen. And then thirdly, either maybe they had known and believed it was going to come, but when it happened, they didn't recognize it. And that's often the case when prophecy is fulfilled. Significant, big event prophecy, like Jesus. When the prophet said that he would be born in a small, out-of-the-way town like Bethlehem, of a virgin, there were, there were things about the prophecy that people fell off the wagon, and it was hard to believe. And when he was born of a virgin in the small town of Bethlehem, they didn't recognize what God was doing. And that's often the case. In Babylon, like we talked about last week from the book of Daniel, they had heard Isaiah and Jeremiah and the minor prophets for years talk about Babylon's going to come in. We're going to be taken off into exile. And they had heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. Whatever. And then when it happened, they were in exile. Brothers and sisters, I don't have a little 20-minute devotional this morning. I have a lot of material I want to pack in. And it's going to take us many weeks. I don't even know how many. Because we're going to look at the prophecies, what the Bible says about this time we're living in. Because every week we see more and more undeniable evidence that we are in that season that the Bible speaks about. And it's the soon near return of our Lord Jesus Christ and what a glorious day it's going to be. And so I come to you this morning, I'm reminded of Caleb's words to Joshua in, jo in Joshua chapter 14. And listen, Caleb is now 85 years old and he's reflecting back on a significant event when he was 40 years old. And the Bible says in verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me and Joshua from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. You remember the story. They were in the wilderness. They sent 12 spies in to see what's it like, the promised land? Can we take it? Verse 8, 
or, and I bought, it says in the B part of verse 7, and I brought him back a report, listen to this, according to my convictions, according to my convictions, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, listen, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Caleb says, I brought back a report. may not have been popular. They didn't adopt it, but I brought back the report according to my convictions. And I, my heart was in it, and I have remained steadfast, wholeheartedly committed to my convictions. I'm coming to you today to bring to you a report according to my convictions. And my convictions are that we are in a season. We cannot sit back or be silenced by fear, hoping that someone will do something and restore normal. This is no time to retreat. This is a time to live by biblical convictions. This is a time for resolve. Every week, we can barely absorb the unconstitutional, wicked, evil initiatives that are being forced upon us. And then the next week brings a whole nother round when Marxist organizations can march and revolt and do whatever they want to do and cause politicians and government leaders to allow the destruction of monuments and statues. Some perhaps need to be removed, but not all. And when we see what we see, and yet now we see new laws being enacted that will keep parents from standing up in school board meetings in an effort to defend and protect their children now they will be accused as terrorists. Something is wrong. William Wilberforce, before you say, Pastor Chuck, you, you dabble too much in politics and current events. I make no apology for it. Spiritual leaders are to lead, understand the times and seasons that they're in. And they're to have a backbone and to stand up whatever the cost on the word of God and, and remain true to biblical convictions. William Wilberforce was a British politician, an aristocrat, and he was the leader of the movement to abolish slavery. In 1785, he became an, an evangelical Christian. Listen, one year after he was elected to office, he became an evangelical Christian, resulting in major changes of his lifestyle. He was warned to not mix politics with his career and his effort to be true to his faith. He was warned that it would be costly. He was told to deny his strong desire to see slaves freed. He headed the parliamentary campaign against the British slave trade for 20 years until the Slave Trade Act of 1807, resulting in the Slavery Abolition Act in 1833, and he died three days later. It's time that we lead with conviction and that we not shy away from the dismantling of our culture and the attack on our faith. In Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3, Ezekiel is in Babylon, in exile, and he has a vision where God grabs him by the hair and takes him back to Israel or Judah, Jerusalem, his homeland, and God shows him things that Ezekiel needed to see. Later in the same book, in chapter 22, verse 30, this is a very familiar passage or verse of Scripture, and this is where God says, God says, I looked for someone Someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. God is saying,
to Ezekiel. I looked for a man, a man, but I found none. The next few weeks in this series, we will look at from a biblical standpoint all the things we're facing, socialism, globalism, pandemics, economic chaos, and what the scripture says, the great falling away, end times people, cancel culture, spiritual famine, Israel's place in the world in biblical prophecy, and we'll look at the victorious king, for all of it is found in scripture. Let me ask you this morning a question that I've been asked a lot. Is COVID a prophetic sign to us? Is this pandemic an act of judgment against the world like the flood was in Noah's day? You remember how quickly this crisis took over our world. January 11th, 2020, the first COVID death was reported in Wuhan, China. Two months later, March 11, 2020, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic after the virus had spread to 114 countries and nearly 120 people killing more than 4,000. On March 12, Ohio became the first state to shut down K through 12 schools. Soon colleges and universities all canceled classes and went online. U.S. stock market tumbled, the Dow falling 10%, its biggest one day percentage drop since October of 1987. Broadway went dark, movie theaters emptied, and hospitals filled. We quarantined in an effort to flatten the curve. I remember where I was when the NCAA basketball March Madness tournament was canceled. And then the NBA season and postseason was canceled. And we survived. <laughs> 219 million people now have contracted this virus. 4.55 million have died. There is much controversy about almost every detail surrounding the virus, its, or, its origin, the protocol for how it should be treated, how we determine if someone actually has it, how we determine if they actually died from the virus, and on and on and on it goes. 1.57 million people in our own state have contracted it, more than 26,000 people have died, and all of us know someone who's passed away to COVID, and most all of them prematurely. We look at a pandemic. What is a pandemic, and what does the Bible say about them? The English word pandemic didn't show up in our dictionaries until 1853 to describe an outbreak of disease that exceeded an epidemic. The Latin prefix pan means all. And the root term demic comes from the word demotic, as in democracy, and it means belonging to the people. A pandemic is something that involves the whole population of the earth. It's more than an epidemic, which is an illness that spreads among a people. Pandemic spreads to people everywhere. And these are the modern words that we've used, and they those words don't appear in the Bible, but the scripture the scriptures have other terms that describe the same thing, pandemic and, and epidemic. There are six ancient words in the original Hebrew and Greek texts of the Bible that describe what we call a pandemic. And the Bible uses those words 127 times. The New King James Version uses the word pestilence 42 times. A pestilence is a very contagious or infectious epidemic disease that is virulent and devastating, something that is destructive or pernicious. Another word that's used in the Bible is the word plague. It's defined as an epidemic disease causing a high rate of mortality, a disastrous evil or affliction. We also see the word disease. It's often used in scripture and sometimes in ways that suggest a widespread illness. And so throughout the Bible, listen, we see examples of God using diseases to accomplish his divine purpose. In Exodus 9, the Lord allowed an infectious disease to sweep over Egypt. It was an epidemic. Every single Egyptian, young and old, was affected. 
As the Israelites left Egypt, the Lord commanded them, listen, to follow and obey him. To follow him and to obey him. For he said, I will put none of the disease on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. On the other hand, God warned his people that disobedience would bring, in Leviticus 26, wasting disease and fever which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. King David, when he sinned against Israel, the Lord, 2 Samuel 24, 15 says, sent a plague upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And many people lost their lives in that epidemic. Now listen, this is not to say all illnesses are God-initiated. They are not. None of them are now. Or that God sent COVID-19. He didn't send it to the earth. But we do live in a world corrupted by sin. And diseases of all kinds are one of the consequences of that corruption. And God masterfully uses sickness, illness, epidemic, pandemics, and worldwide crisis to accomplish his purposes. The Bible also teaches that Satan can bring sickness. And how many of you know? He does. But what does all of this mean? Have you asked yourself the question, what does, the, what does this see? What's happening? What's going on? There's a lot going on. But as it relates to the pandemic, it's the most apocalyptic thing that's happened in any of our lifetime. During the last week of his life, Jesus left the temple and the disciples asked him the question we would like to ask. Help me understand the last days, the end times. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 8, Jesus says this. Now, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Here are the six things Jesus said would happen at his sec as his second coming began to draw near. These six things, deception by false Christ, disputes, warfare among nations, disease, famine worldwide, deliverance of believers to tribulation, Defection of false believers, the falling away, and the declaration of the gospel to the whole world is found in verse 14. The big question that the disciples asked didn't get answered until much later in the chapter, in verse 36. They want to know, how will we know? When is it? And Jesus says, no one knows the hour, the day or hour, when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Now, these six signs cover the first three and a half years of what we call the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation period. And they coincide, these things that Jesus mentioned, they coincide with the prophecies of the book of Revelation. And it's very clear these signs will be fulfilled during the seven-year tribulation period, but they won't start all at once out of nowhere, they will build up over time, and we are seeing them increase and be built up more and more and more. And according to Jesus, the generation that sees these signs will also see his second coming. And we are seeing the early evidence of all of these signs I want to show you just, and we'll, we'll break this down more in the coming weeks, but a lot of people, everybody just pause and look here a second. We've raised a whole generation. We haven't talked much about the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, 
the millennial reign. We haven't talked much about the, the last days. Because for the last 40 years, we've been in a season of prosperity like no nation has ever known in the earth. And many people were just not interested. It didn't preach well. Nobody had ears to hear. But what we'll see is the rapture. It will happen first. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, and a lot of other verses. And then there'll be a seven-year tribulation period as Jesus has taken the real church, true biblical Christians, out of this, this earth and this worldly realm. And there'll be seven years of tribulation, according to Revelations chapter 6 through 18, Matthew 24. And listen, of that seven years, the first three and a half years will be a tribulation. The last three and a half will be the great tribulation because the the Antichrist will have been revealed and the evil will be unimaginably increased. And after that seven-year period, the second coming, according to Acts 1.11 and a whole lot of other um, verses. And so this is what we will see, the rapture, the seven-and-a-half-year period of, trans, uh, of tribulation, and then we'll see the second coming. Now, you may be going, well, Pastor Chuck, if we're out of here in the rapture, sweet. Or maybe you're not. Um, if we're out of here, then why teach all this stuff? If the church won't be here during the tribulation, why even talk about it? Everybody listen. That's a great question. Because we won't be here, as I understand it. I believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. Now, and we'll break that down in the coming weeks as well. And let, let, me, let me just, I want to help you get this because the principles, and I, I really want you guys to get it. Um, Dr. John Wolver wrote, and he said that the rapture's like Thanksgiving, and the second coming is like Christmas. You know, sometime in... September, October, you start seeing people count down 113 days till Christmas. And then you see all of the advertisements and the whole world, the schedule. And then Thanksgiving's just kind of thrown in there. And you don't really ever see it coming, but it gets here. And you know it's coming. And, and Dr. John Wolverd said the rapture is like Thanksgiving. You're not going to see all these signs. It's just going to happen. And, and Jesus, the word tells us how it will happen. It'll be like as in the days of Noah. Be like a thief and then people won't be expecting it and boom, we'll be caught away. The word means snatched away, we'll be gone. And let me, let me add something else. You don't want to be here in the tribulation because we're seeing that the national and international media, they will spin that and it, who knows how it will be represented. But just tell your neighbor, I won't be here to have to hear how CNN spins it or Fox or anybody else. But can you imagine? And so we'll be caught away and then the seven years of tribulation and then the Lord will come back with his bride and we will reign for a thousand years. Now, so why spend time teaching on this stuff? Listen, because we need to know about this because the future events cast their shadows on today's events. When Jesus says, the generation that sees, and we're going to get into a lot of other things, when we see this happen, we will realize that prophesied it. And when we see these type of things happen, we need to be ready because we know we're in the season of his return. Now, I want to mention four things. What have we learned or should have learned in the last 19 months. We've learned this. Number one, we are vulnerable. We're way more vulnerable than we like to think. Dr. John Lennox says this, many of us had got used to a fairly stable world where life was reasonably predictable. Now that all, now that all appears to be crumbling away. The things we have always counted on have gone, and we are exposed as never before to forces way outside our control. People fear for their health, both physical and psychological. 
for their families and friends, particularly the elder and infirm, for their social networks, their food supply, their jobs, economic security, and a host of other things. According to most reports, the elderly and those with underlying health conditions were the most vulnerable to this virus. But as time progressed, we discovered that everyone was vulnerable, including celebrities and politicians. And regardless of what you think about the virus, we have discovered high levels of corruption. The depravity of man has never been more exposed. And we all have a foreboding sense that something is about to happen. We have learned that money can't protect you. We're all vulnerable to the virus. We're all vulnerable to the media. We're all vulnerable to corruption and dishonest reporting. The second thing that we are learning is, listen to me, the Bible is credible. The Bible is credible. The events of the tribulation, they're astounding as you look at them and read in the book of Revelation and in other passages. We have believed that these things could happen not because we understood how they could happen, but because they're in the Bible. But now, these apocalyptic events seem to be happening more and more each day, and it's truly breathtaking. If you read Scripture and know what the, the Bible says about these days, it's amazing. There's a couple places the prophet Ezekiel prophesied years ago a war where Russia and its allies will try to destroy the nation of Israel. When God intervenes, the coalition of armies, their allies, will be destroyed. When God steps in, he will destroy them by monumental convulsions of the earth, military confusion, and by multiple calamities like fire and brimstone and major plagues. The prophecy says the Lord will bring them to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed in Ezekiel 38 verse 22 and that it will take seven months to bury the bodies in Ezekiel 39 verse 12 and a number of other things as it relates to the gory details of around that many people dying. But we all would read those scriptures and have a hard time imagining that. Unburied bodies everywhere but in today's world, that was hard to believe or imagine until you saw what we saw coming out of New York State or Italy, whichever place it was coming from. The hundreds of body bags of people who had died from the virus. And now we're seeing things that look like the book of Ezekiel. For years, I used to think, how could the Antichrist get the whole world to line up and take the mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13, where verse 3 says this, all the world marveled and followed the beast. And it was hard to imagine what the conditions would be like to make everybody line up and take the mark. Now, it's easy to understand how that can happen. Please hear me. I am not speaking for or against the vaccine. I do not believe the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Duh. But if you do not see how the whole world could be forced to take something like the mark of the beast now, or they wouldn't be able to, the Bible says, buy or sell without that mark. All my life growing up, I thought, well, we can't be that close because I don't even see how in the world that could happen. Brothers and sisters, we can see how that is Listen, we are, one we are one existential crisis away. We are one crisis away from a one-world government, a new world order. And yes, there are people standing up, 
fighting against the tide and praying as we should. But we need to understand that the Bible more and more it is being seen as credible. I could preach for an hour right here. Listen, it seems like now the prophets knew what they were talking about. Can I get a witness? The third thing that we should learn is that life is uncertain. Yeah, we should have known it, but we're North Atlantans and we're not always familiar with that. We can control stuff. But who expected the kind of interruption that we've experienced. No one did. None of us were prepared for our children's to be closed, our schools to be closed, and their learning experience moved online at our kitchen table. Candace and I and Caroline and our family, we had a wedding to plan and host in the middle of the pandemic. And I was a pastor and still am, thank God. When I was in seminary, there were no how to pastor your church through a pandemic class. And who knew the wisdom of stockpiling toilet paper? None of us did. Think about it. A good read through the New Testament, though, teaches us that we should not be surprised by the unexpected. James chapter 4, verse 14. Oh, I sense your spirit in this room, Lord. In the message translation, it says this, and now I have a word for you who brashly announce, today, at the latest, tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Brothers and sisters, life is uncertain. The fourth thing that we we should know and learn through this pandemic is, listen to me, that Jesus is sufficient. The virus, sickness, and the threat of death points us to the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave, the one who had the woman with the issue of blood, who had been to all the experts. And when she touched the hem of his garment, she was made whole. Jesus says in John 16, I have told you these things so that, say these two words with me, in me, say it, in me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The message says, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I've conquered the world. I want to point you to this. He says, in me, you will have peace. And he said, in this world, you will have trouble or tribulation. And he doesn't say that Take heed, I've overcome the tribulation or the trouble. That's not what he says. He says, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the environment, the whole atmosphere, and the source of every tribulation and trial and all the trouble you'll ever face. He says, I've overcome the world. That's why he says in John 14, verse 27, I say it to you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Can somebody say amen for God's sufficiency in Jesus Christ? Now, this is what it all means. We are vulnerable. The Bible is credible. Life is uncertain. But Jesus is sufficient. Now, I just I sense the Holy Spirit just pricking me off the script right now. There are people here right now overwhelmed. Even the thought of this subject, preaching about this stuff, disturbs and disrupts and causes concern. And I want to bring that to the surface because we are in the presence of the only one who can deal with that kind of fear, that kind of doubt and anxiety. 
and he can deal with it. Can I get a witness? Now, how are we to live now? Francis Schaeffer's book. How then shall we live? Five things I want to tell you that we need to do. Pray, fast, and repent. We need to be people of prayer. Look at me. We need to pack this church full of people on Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings. We go to praying we can turn this world upside down again no matter what the kingdom of darkness has on its agenda. We need to pray, fast, and repent. Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat, he faced an existential crisis when multiple armies headed toward this little nation of Judah. And he responded with masterful spiritual leadership. He was determined to trust God and to lead his nation to do the same. He didn't merely trust the Lord in the face of potential military defeat. He was ready to trust God for any disaster looming ahead. So he prayed, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. It's in verses 5 through 12, the king offered a model prayer. He appealed to God's, listen, his character, his promises, and his actions in the past. And he ended the prayer with these great words. You've heard me say them recently. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Where are your eyes? Is it, is it okay for me to tell you, and you, you've known this, I've preached this. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know everything to do, but I know who to worship. I know where to go, and I know that prayer changes things, and the biggest thing it changes is me. You know what, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, I challenge you. I challenge you to, and I know some of you need child care, and we're considering whatever we can do. Many people have requested it. It's not easy to get child care on Tuesdays for one hour, but we're going to do whatever we can. But until we can get child care, bring your children. Wouldn't it be awesome for them to be raised like you were raised? Just being a part of the adult prayer meeting, playing tic-tac, whatever, or whatever they're doing. But just being in that atmosphere, that would be amazing. But I double-dog, triple-dog some of you. Come out and sit here and be with us in prayer on Tuesday nights. Let's fill this main floor up with people seeking God. And don't, make me, don't try to make me believe for a second that it would be wasted time. We can call out in prayer, oh, I feel his presence now like an old-fashioned preacher from the mountain of Virginia. If we begin to call out on God like my parents and my grandparents called out on God. Listen, I, I was born in the middle of the 60s. I was born right before or right after Martin Luther King Jr., the Kennedy brothers, I had a seven-year-old friend when his daddy came back from Vietnam. It was the first time he'd ever seen him. We survived Nixon and, and, and four years of Carter. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. But look what God did after that. There was a turning of the tide. May God help us. But may we not sit back like it's up to someone else. God's promises are conditional on our obedience and following him and seeking after him wholeheartedly. We see the prophecies. We see what's about to happen and what is happening. May we get engaged in the game spiritually fighting this battle. The second thing we need to do is stay in the word so that you can walk in faith. You staying in the word will keep you away from fear. Fear is rampant. Staying in the word will help you know what is happening and what is about to happen so you can be prepared. The third thing you need to do is get your house in order. 
2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I love you. I'm going to talk to you like your pastor. You need to get your house in order. Your children need to be discipled. You need to make the house of God the top priority. You need to care for them spiritually. Lead them spiritually. Get your house in order. Now is not a time to follow half-heartedly. It's a time to get our house in order. Fourthly, follow wholeheartedly. There are benefits to radical obedience, radical commitment. Joshua, that same passage that I started with, where Joshua said, I gave my report based on my convictions. Verse 9, in that same passage, chapter 14, says, So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Moses says to Caleb and to Joshua, you go ahead. Because you followed wholeheartedly, every place you put your foot, I'm giving you that place. And I want to, I don't have time to break that down, but imagine what God is promising you right now. If you are to surrender and follow the Lord wholeheartedly, what could happen in your home? What could happen in our church? What could happen in our nation? Listen, listen. Don't be like those people in Acts chapter 2 who either, they didn't know what the prophet Joel said. Or they knew and thought, ah, that'll never happen. And don't be like the one that said, I, I knew it was coming. I just, I didn't recognize it. Don't be that person. Let's be a wholehearted, consecrated, focused body of believers that we seek him with all of our hearts. And I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, the windows of heaven will open up. There will be blessings and miracles of deliverance and salvation if we as a church could wholeheartedly consecrate everything we are and everything we do we will see some people in this place receive salvation that we had given up on, never thought in a million years they would come to Christ. Everybody listen, I know what I'm preaching against. I know I'm swimming upstream right now. And it's always that way when you preach the word. Because the word promises things that God's people have a hard time believing. And that's why when they see God's stuff happening they go, they're drunk. They are not the drunk ones. You are drunk on your lukewarm stupor. You don't have a clue about how awesome God is. You don't even believe the tomb is empty. You're not sure he died. In progressive Christianity, it's a, it's a cancer. And the American church is in the third or fourth stage of that cancer. May God deliver us. May he deliver us. And may we unreservedly commit all that we are to him. Come on, if you're going to praise him. Come on, let's praise him. We bless your name, Jesus. Lastly, we need to look for opportunities to share our faith. Brothers and sisters, people have never in our lifetime been more open. Never. People are shook to the core. Look for opportunities. I'm not talking about brash, insensitive, legalistic, turn or burn type of stuff. I'm talking about look for opportunities to minister. How many remember growing up, those days I mentioned earlier, the 70s? Every, it seemed like every sermon was about the return of the Lord. And I'd get home from school. If my mom wasn't there, I'd start running around the neighborhood. There were no Life 360 and smartphones and all that jazz. 
it happens to me sometimes today, and I got to call Candace, and she answers. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> um, everybody hear me? That wasn't bad to live with a sense of he could come back. If I am worn out too much on one or the other, I'd rather be, oh, wow, he could come back. There's a healthy fear in that as opposed to they're drunk. They're drunk. Uh-uh. May God help us. Now, Max Licato closing with two quick stories. Max Licato, in one of his books, he writes about the fact that he and his little brother grew up in West Texas, and when they were single-digit ages, that their dad was big into vacations. He planned them and would plan all their stops, and that they sat... Um, before they left, he would sit them down at the kitchen table with a b big Rand McNally atlas and that they always were headed to the mountains, typically Colorado. And he said his dad would sit him down and prep him for the trip. And he would say to him, this is exactly what Lucado says, he said that, boys, when we go through New Mexico, New Mexico is, is going to get windy. And when we get into the mountains your ears are going to pop. And when we start seeing snow-capped mountains, the more of them we see, we're almost there. And I would say to you, we're seeing a lot of snow-capped mountains right now. We're almost there. The Bible is credible. So what are we to do? We are to, like a bride, waiting for her groom, we are to be ready. Amen? Now, like a bride, I've had, I married a bride, and I've just recently, a year ago, married my last daughter. And I can remember when Caroline came home, when Erica, her oldest sister, came home from UGA, single and we had conversations about he's out there don't you compromise now you be prepared he's coming and many of you we were here when that miraculous love story Erica here him in Anchorage Alaska and God supernaturally brought them together and it's a beautiful love story God's able to bring that right woman or man, even if they're stuck in cold Alaska. Caroline finished UGA, went to get her master's at Lee University. And we had many talks about remaining pure. You never know when he's coming, but we know He's coming. And it was a joy for me to stand for both of my daughters and know they were pure. They had saved themselves. And they were ready for the moment. Caroline, her wedding was September a year ago in the pandemic year 2020. And we were told for months the chapel over at Free Chapel had been shut down, and if they opened it up, it was only going to be for the reception, or it was only going to be for, like, the wedding party and family, immediate family. We were like, oh, what a letdown. And God miraculously moved, and uh, Candace's cousin Jensen made a call, like, nope, they're related. We're going to open up the whole chapel. It's good to have connections. <laughs> Do you have connections? It opened up, and it was rainy and overcast that all day long, that Friday. And Caroline, she continued to tell all of us. 
the sun is coming out. We're like, sis, have you seen the radar? And you know, and you're like, as a dad, you're like, bless her heart. Yeah, the sun, and you're thinking, she's gonna, we're going to walk down the aisle. She's going to forget how doomy and gloomy and cloudy it is. Some of you were there. It rained the whole stinking day. It was overcast and miserable. I wanted to get divorced on that day. It was so bad. <laughs> Teasing. Caroline and I walked down the aisle, and about three steps down the aisle, the sun came out of nowhere and filled up. Do you remember that? And I'm walking and having a hard time fighting back the tears. I'm going, God, I see you. I hear you, Lord. I didn't know it mattered to you this much. You are glorious. And little Caroline, I told you, Dad. I don't even know what's wrong with you. You should have been expecting this. And I should have. May we, as the song says, like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be your church, Lord, ready for you. If you're, not, if you're here this morning and you are not ready to meet the Lord, if you're not walking with him, now is not a time to follow at a distance. I beg you, brother. I beg you, sister. Surrender your life to Christ. Receive the amazing gift of salvation. How many of you this morning, you are here and you are glad that you've got connections? Come on, stand to your feet with me. I want you, we're going to sing this. And as we sing it, I want you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you through this word, this, this sermon this morning. I want us to have our hearts prepared. I want us to cry out and commit to the Lord that, listen, what does the Bible say we are to do? Go, he's coming. All right, here we go. No. In Luke 11, verse 13, Jesus said, occupy until I come. One translation says, I think it's the New Living, says, Engage in business. Don't stop getting lethargic or lazy or sit back like some people do. No. May we be busy about the kingdom, telling people about the glorious gospel, telling people that the king is coming. I'm reminded of the movie Elf right now. I hadn't thought about this. You remember how crazy he was? Santa. I know him. You remember it? Santa's coming. Santa's coming. You remember that? Yes. Over Santa. How many of you say, Jesus? Yes. I know him. Go ahead, call me drunk, whatever. You're the drunk one. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, Mark. Pastor, you've preached it your whole ministry. We're closer now than we've ever... Pastor Mud, Jesus is coming. You've heard it since you were this high. He's coming, Paul. Pastor Arville, Jesus is coming. Don't If you see me as the oddball, weird one, I pity you. The sun's coming out. It might be miserable, gloomy, doomy, rainy weather. The sun is coming out. Can I get a witness? Come on, let's praise him. Like a bride waiting for her groom will be church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King we say like a bride, like a bride.
spread your hands out in a position to receive from the Lord. Holy Spirit, rain down in this place. Touch every heart. Prepare us, Lord, by your Spirit. We can't stay ready for you in our own strength. We can't be ready at all in our own strength. Holy Spirit, rain down. It was in Matthew 25. You remember the parable, the ten virgins. Five of the virgins had extra oil ready. They didn't run out. They were prepared. Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. We submit and surrender. Awaken us from the millions of distractions. Consecrate our hearts, Lord. Do a deep work in this church, in my own life, Lord, in this season, where there is a foreboding sense that something is about to happen. Your word tells us what's about to happen and what will happen as we build up for that day. May we not become weary in well-doing. May we not be distracted. May our hearts be purified. And may you fill your church with joy. Come on, brothers and sisters. May you be filled with joy and a sense of anticipation. Everybody look here. Look at me just a second. The Lord comes back. There are no words. There's no way to even begin to describe how glorious and beautiful it's going to be. It will not be something that you go, oh, I just bought that brand new boat. You will not have any of that. And if there is anything that would take away from the sheer joy and pleasure of it would be you realizing, I didn't tell, I should have, I should have tried to, I should have twisted their arm. That'll be the only thing. But we still got time in the name of Jesus. Tuesday night, we're going to gather here for prayer, and we still, I know not everybody does, and if you can't do it, no problem, but still come for prayer if you can. From Monday sundown till Tuesday after prayer, there's a lot of us fasting, and I want to encourage you to do it. Brothers and sisters, I know like my name is Chuck Ramsey. We're about to see great things. Plan on it. We're getting ready to see miracles. The word of the Lord performed deliverances in the name of Jesus. How many of you like to see the top three on your God will never get them list saved? How many of you? Why don't you pray and fast like it's up to you and let's watch God blow our minds. Amen. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you need special prayer, I want to ask Mark and Shine and other elders, if you're here, if you're here and anything today disturb you or you're not sure your salvation is sure or secure, you need prayer for anything, I want to invite you at the close of the service to let us pray for you in Jesus' name. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, lifting up his countenance on you and give you peace. You receive it, say it, I receive it. In Jesus' name. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.